You're listening to Deviant, a true crime podcast. I'm Mishka. And I'm Husband Stuff. And this week we're covering the case of Pazuzu Algorand. What? <laughs> this is like the reoccurring thing of this episode. <laughs> It'll be, hi, we're, the, we're blah blah. We're doing the case of bar. And then they get the intro. And then me going, what? Well, that's the whole point. You're not expected to have heard of these before. Jim Bob the Pooper Poo. Pazuzu Algorat. Poopy all the rats. Kind of, yeah. All right. Nailed it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's the episode. Hello, everybody. How are we all? Hopefully, when you're listening to this, it's on a Friday. Yeah. Because hopefully, I'll have got it out on time this week with our new schedule. Organised? Shh, don't jinx it. Oh, I know. (laughs) We're back. Normal, chunky episode. I know everything. Well, no, I don't know everything, but I've done the research. Stuff, as we've seen, hasn't got a clue. Um, I can't even remember the name. Pazuzu Algorand. I'm surprised you don't recognise the first name. Pazuzu? Yeah. How do I know that? Because you're a horror fan. What's Pazuzu in? Pazuzu is the name of the demon in The Exorcist. I've bloody long ass time since I've actually seen <laughs> the first Exorcist. To be fair, I don't think he's ever actually named in the film. How do I know that? You b- like blurt out the most random shit to me about Ash Williams all the time. Yeah. It's <laughs> Brilliant goof. Yeah, well... How many times does he go back to the same cabin? I don't know. A lot. A lot. If the same thing happens every goddamn time, (laughs) he never learns. (laughs) Well, some people may well already know this one. I didn't actually know this one until about three weeks ago. And then I made the mistake of going on the internet. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I... did consider doing this as a two-parter and it got to the point where I was like, no, I just don't want to read about this guy anymore. <laughs> and I'll put all of our sources down below like I normally would. At the same time, I do just want to mention here and now um, a really excellent documentary on this case called The Devil You Know. It's amazing. Just go and watch it. You can find it in full on YouTube. It was made by Vice, I think, last year. And it's very sensitive and it explores the victims a lot more than it does the criminal which is a rare thing in these days and it made me cry a lot so i do recommend that if you kind of listen to this episode and go what the fuck go and watch the documentary bamboo the algorand pazuzu algorand was a massive fuckhead oh spoiler alert he's dead Really? <laughs> most most people would cover a dead. Yeah. Kind of thing you get with true crime podcasts, isn't it? Somebody usually dies, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, the, I don't think we have any corrections this week. Let's um, <laughs> let's just crack into the case because it's a doozy. Let's it, listen to the story of Boogaloo the uh, Anorak Kazuzu. <laughs> To be fair, we shouldn't give his name too much weight. For for a start, what kind of nerd picks their own nickname? Depends what level of nerd you are, I guess. Uh, It speaks volumes of his character that he picked his own nickname. Like, wasn't it you that knew a guy who changed his name to, like, Keanu Darkweb or something? No, um, Joey. 
Joey. That was it. His name was Koi Vu, and he got changed to Joey Dark. Joey Dark. <laughs> <laughs> God. Running around in his duster and his mirrored glasses. I can see it now. <laughs> he was all right. I'm sure he's a lovely guy, but Joey Dark, did he? how old was he when he picked that? Like 15 and 16? I don't know, but there's got to be a point when you name Koi Vu that <laughs> you got to... You gotta think. Uh, I, gotta, I, gotta I have so. a weird name though, and I embraced it. Yeah, but he, yeah, but he didn't embrace Koi Vu. Didn't give it a chance. Didn't give it. He, <laughs> in fact, the only reason I actually knew his name was Koi Vu is he won tickets to go and see um, Transformers uh-huh. before it was released in cinema up at the um, like Paramount offices in London, uh-huh. and he took me as a plus one. And, oh, you uh, went on a mandate. Yeah, Cute. and. Uh, we got to reception. He had to give his name. And he was like, sure. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, bless him. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we are covering a case of murder. Surprise, surprise. Really? Satanism. A life on the edge of a mainstream society that, unsurprisingly, once again, failed its most vulnerable people within the community and the literal devil next door. And a quick PSA, paganism and Satanism are not the same thing. Yep, and Satanism are, uh, brother, Satanists are not bad guys. No. Which we will dip into in a little bit more detail later. But yeah, let's say right now, this guy calls himself a Satanist. He is not. He does not represent the Satanist ideals in any way. Well, Satanism is kind of coming free kind of different categories isn't there um there's the worship of um the self mm-hmm. as like a contradiction to worship of uh, uh yahweh yeah and there's the oh what's his fucking name so Anton LaVey. yeah his mm-hmm. one which is like well that is kind of the worship of the self sorts of things from yeah. what i understood it's been a very long time since i read the satanic bible about 15 years but well, I'll try not to name any categories then, because I'm going to balls it up then. You've got the worship of the self, worship of the devil, and there's the, I listened to heavy metal when I was 12, now I've got everything sorted out. Yeah, um, <laughs> and the satanic temple are, I believe, kind of along the lines of worship of the self and an anti-theism stance. Um, they don't even believe in the devil. Yeah. The whole point is that they follow scientific teachings, logical thought, and they value human beings as they are living, breathing right now and the experiences of life that you have right now instead of devaluing human life because there might be something better later on. I remember something as well. Mm-hmm. In the Witchcraft Museum we went to. Yes, Boss yeah, Castle. Big shout out to Boss Castle Witchcraft yeah. Museum, Fantastic one of my place. favorite places as a kid. Because <laughs> uh, I remember, uh, to, to paraphrase a story, oh hello, I've come to go and teach you about Jesus and stuff. Here's all the things you shouldn't do because that's the way to Satan. But I like those things. Mm-hmm. This guy doesn't sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Yeah, that, that, that's that one way to paraphrase it. Yeah. So please do not. When you hear about people like Pazuzu Algarad and the satanic panic and all that kind of thing, don't think it equates in any way with real Satanists because they're actually a lovely bunch. Yeah. And re- I've never met a Satanist I didn't like. And the, re- the reason I've got to make these uh, kind of statements as well is you're watching some crime show 
Um, that narrows it down. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't know. There's fucking millions of them. But you're watching your crime show, mm-hmm. and some woman comes along with this little paper sleeve saying, Here, I've got loads of pagan symbols here about Satan. And I'm oh. sitting there like, Ugh! Yeah, because if you haven't listened to earlier episodes, <laughs> um, and if this is your first time joining us, we are a pagan household yeah. here. We are. Also, probably the most harmless, squidgy, laid-back people you will ever meet. I have never eaten a baby. I have never sacrificed a goat. And I have never lured small children to my gingerbread house. So, yeah, don't believe the (laughs) hype, guys, basically. When we talk about Satanism in this case, we are not talking about the real deal. We're talking about one man's delusions. Anyway, we've waffled (laughs) for... 13 and a half minutes, so... Should we get on with the let's story? Let's do some actual work. Of Comblu the uh, Q. Pazuzu Illa Algarad. Pazuzu? That could be a clown. Hey, kids, it's Pazuzu! Holy! Hey, I'm going to strangle your kids! Fuck you! Oh no, that's John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. We'll get back to him. Pazuzu Illa Algarad was born John Alexander Lawson on the 12th of August 1978 in San Francisco, California. His parents were named Cynthia and Timothy Lawson. Pazuzu, and I am going to use the name Pazuzu just to kind of keep the line of thought straight moving forward. Why is Queen Pooey? You have no idea how apt these descriptions are. (laughs) Things are going to unfold. Pazuzu was his parents' only child. When he was still a young boy, and still called John, he was a sweet-faced, blue-eyed, blonde-haired toddler who looked as if butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. But almost from the very beginning, John Lawson had problems, and the transformation into Pazuzu began. Very little is known of Pazuzu's early years. As his life unfolded, it became clear he was a talented story weaver and never recounted the same tale of his childhood twice. We do know that the Lawson's marriage was not a happy one. There are some allegations of abuse, but I cannot find any concrete evidence. At some point, the family relocated to Clemens, North Carolina, but by 1990, Tim and Cynthia had divorced. His father moved back to California, and after this, there was no contact between himself and his son. So his father just dropped out of his life completely. That's always healthy. Yep, dick move. Yeah. Cynthia stayed in North Carolina, moving herself and her son to Winston-Salem in Clemens. Not the Salem you're thinking of. (laughs) There's lots of places in the States that seem to have the same name. It does seem that long before the divorce, the, the marriage was kind of over in all oh, but name. Lots. Yeah. Um, by the age, by when Pazuzu was about five years old, according to some accounts. So it seemed like it was a very unhappy sort of start to life. A family friend, Carmen Doob, who babysat for Pazuzu as a child between the ages of around five to nine, 
recalls that his mother did work two jobs during the day to try and support the two of them. She, to be honest, they got kind of judgy as Cynthia about how she used to go out dating at night. So she would say that Cynthia used to leave Pazuzu with her basically from six in the morning to the middle of the night. T- to be honest, though, fuck's sake, if she is working two jobs just to keep them afloat, cut her some fucking slack. It's not as if dad's putting his hand in his pocket, is it? No, fuck off. Exactly. So she's got to do what she's got to do. It's not for anyone to judge her if if she's doing everything she can to keep her family afloat. You know, even parents are allowed a life sometimes. Mm-hmm. But she really seems to blame her for a lot of what Pazizi becomes later on. And she might have a bit of a point. But I don't think that all of the blame can solely rest at his mother's feet. So Carmen really adored Pazuzu when he was a little boy. She thought he was very sweet. She always said that he was very nice to her and that him and her son were basically best friends. But she did feel he was kind of weird. And again, I don't Someone know... Someone that picked the name Pazuzu might be weird as <laughs> a kid. Might be a little bit weird. And again, I don't know how much of this is kind of looking back with hindsight and perspective. Because one of the things that she says is that Pazuzu used to dress up from a very small age in black capes and fake blood and <laughs> run around declaring that he was an evil vampire. Uh, I was a weird kid, so I, I can kind of see that. I had one of those like children's Halloween costumes where was, you were a witch and it came with like the gnarly little fingers that you put over the end of your mm-hmm. real fingers. And I used to love wearing those all year round. I was just a weird kid. One thing that is a little bit troubling, though, is that at that young age, Pazuzu was also very into very graphic horror movies. So, again, from the age of about five, he was into things like The Exorcist, Nightmare on Elm Street, the Jason movies, all that kind of thing. Again, I started getting seriously into horror from when I was about ten, I would say. But I was sneaking the DVDs, or (laughs) should I say the VHSs. VHS, yeah. So bloody old. I was sneaking them rather than being allowed to watch them. And I was twice his age, even then. And I've got to say, because you did mention uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Welcome to primetime, bitch! (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, some of the things that he was exposed to were probably not really appropriate. Mm, Yeah, maybe not. And Carmen also recalled that Pazuzu could go into violent rages against his mother and would physically attack her from as young as eight years old, a proper wailing on her. When he was 13 years old, Puzuzu began abusing alcohol, drinking heavily every single day, and also began developing an interest in the occult. Again, a fairly normal teenage thing, I think. Like we said at the beginning, we're both pagans, and we've never hurt anybody. <laughs> I'd like to plead the fifth, please. <laughs> You can't do that. You live in the UK. (laughs) That's an American thing. We haven't got a constitution. No. I do think you have the right not to say anything that might incriminate you, though. I just don't think you can plead the fifth. Okay. It's basically the same thing. Right. It is an interesting thing for the, like, American listeners and probably listeners... Listeners across the world, really, because we have quite a few uh, spotted here and there. We are getting rather international, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, the UK doesn't actually have uh, freedom of speech laws. Did we you, not? No. That's why you can literally be arrested for saying stuff. That's why Count Dankula got um, got fined by... But surely that 
that's a human rights issue. Well, that that's the whole reason that he's yeah. gone off to the Supreme Court and yeah. stuff, isn't it? He's done the Supreme Court and said, fuck off. Um, but yeah, we don't actually have um, freedom of speech laws here. Pazuzu began abusing alcohol by the age of 13, drinking heavily every day and developing an interest in the occult. He told other children at school that he had magical powers, such as being able to read minds, telekinesis and controlling the weather. Pazuzu withdrew into himself, spending a lot of time alone or physically fighting not just with his peers, but with his teachers when he was at school. Didn't care who he slapped, he just slapped about. Again, alarm bells ringing, guys. Pazuzu's education suffered to the point where he had to repeat multiple grades before eventually dropping out without completing his high school education. I really don't think that was because of a lack of intelligence. I think it was a behavioural issue. Yeah. There's obviously a lot going on with this young man, and unfortunately he was not getting the support that he needed. No, was got the people kind of putting him in line, really. Well, it's not even a case of putting him in line. Um... Basically, where Pazuzu is living at the at this point is a town that is bang smack in the middle of the American Bible Belt, and it is super conservative and super traditionalist. So, if you're a little bit odd, you're immediately ostracised. You are the problem, and I think that's what he was experiencing. So, yeah, Winston Salem is right in the heart of the American Bible Belt, made up of a community of basically pretty much all evangelical Christians and they believe in the devil in a very literal sense and that things like an interest in the occult come directly from the devil himself. So there's no metaphors, there's no sort of similes and things like that. The Bible and religious dogma is very, very black and white in this kind of community. Mm -hmm. Which, fair enough, you are allowed to believe what you want to believe. Oh, yeah. But you're allowed to believe what you want to believe, but you're not allowed to treat people like like a dick because of what you believe, basically. Cynthia was well aware that her son's interest in violence and horror, combined with his alcoholism and fits of extreme rage, were not just typical childhood acting out. She did actually seek help for her son taking him to multiple doctors and psychiatric centres and also hospitalised him multiple times by the age of 13. Pazuzu was diagnosed with agoraphobia, schizophrenia and states of psychosis. He also suffered with crippling anxiety that had severely negative effects on his ability to function day to day. So he was diagnosed as being seriously mentally ill. Okay. These are some very very rough very rough summations of what each of these conditions are i'm not a psychiatrist i strongly recommend that if you want to learn more about these conditions go and educate yourself at appropriate sources like the american psychiatric association because there is so much stigma around mental health and it really has to stop. Oh, definitely. Conditions like the following that I'm going to sort of give you a brief description of do not make people violent. The problem is that untreated conditions, like the ones I'm about to describe, in combination with other factors, such as alcoholism, can lead to worrying behaviours. Yeah. But... For most people who have these conditions, if they are untreated, 
they are much more likely to be a danger to themselves to, than anybody else. Yeah. Please, please, please remember that. In a, in a general rule, if something goes untreated, it will lead to our problems. Yeah, but most under... of the time, you know, these yeah. people are not monsters. Yeah. They're sick. There was um, a case I saw in the news. This was going back years ago, so I'm going to have no fucking source for this at all. Mm. But there was a, uh, a model, a uh, bloke who's doing pretty good in his career. Um, he started getting dental problems. Yeah. Um, he had a really, really ridiculous fucking toothache. Yeah. Oh, um, nasty. Yeah. Did he get psychosis from septicemia? No, he lashed out at people and killed himself. Oh, bless him. Yeah. And, and like, case in point, it a, a toothache doesn't make you suicidal. But for this person in particular, for his case, you know, it did. Yeah. So, well, that's it's the just, thing, just like... to tie into the whole mental health problems do not make you violent. No. That that would have been that that infection had got so severe that it affected his mental health. That is a thing that can happen. Oh, yeah. And like you said, he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Cases like Pazuzu's, unfortunately, help to paint these people in a negative light and reinforce the stereotypes. He's a one in a million case. He really mm. is. Um, so please educate yourself about any of these conditions. Don't believe what you see in horror movies and things like that. <laughs> and don't believe what you see in the papers about people like Pazuzu Algarad. I come up with an interesting little kind of uh, metaphor for depression lately. Mm. Um, it's kind of like a parasite. Mm. A parasite in the brain and it feeds on positive emotion. But it also gets back negative emotions and makes them much fucking worse. It's a dementor. Yeah, it's a it's a dick. Depression's a dick. Depression is a dick. Mental yeah. illness is a dick. Yeah, because you, you get some people saying, "Oh, what have you got to be depressed about?" And I was like, "It's not that." It doesn't work like that. I literally have chemicals in my brain that make me go, "You know, that's not good. No, that that's shit. That's shit." That's Would you turn around to a diabetic and be like, "What have you got to have an insulin deficiency about?" <laughs> Eat a Mars bar, you diabetic dick. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. Paralysis, you're just lazy. <laughs> Fuck's sake. You've been beheaded, you just didn't want a haircut. I remember, <laughs> I can't remember, I think I heard this in a podcast to be fair, but I can't remember which one. I'm really I didn't know you listened sorry. to podcasts. I'm really sorry to whoever said this that I cannot remember who you are, so I cannot cite it. Tell us if, you, if you're listening, which would be quite interesting, uh, give Misha Poke on Facebook. Yeah. Um, Join the group. They made the the brilliant point that the brain is one of the major organs in the body. Mm-hmm. And if you had something wrong with any of your other major organs, for example, your heart, you can't see what's going on with your heart. You can't, you know, externally diagnose anything that's going on with your heart. But you know that there's a problem. So you go and you see a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. Your cardiologist gives you medication they give you changes to your lifestyle. They give you consistent follow-up appointments. You know, they monitor you perhaps for the rest of your life. Why is your brain not treated in exactly the same way as your heart is? Because they're both major organs within your body. Shenanigans. I just, it's just, it was one of those things where I heard it and I'm really sorry to whoever it was that said it. I think it was an American podcast because I think they were, they were talking about how minuscule the resources are for mental health in America. Um, but it just blew my mind. I was like, that is such a good analogy to explain to people who believe that mental health, you know, mental illness is not a real illness. 
Yeah, so if, if someone's like on the floor clutching their chest and they're having a heart attack. You wouldn't ignore it. Uh, yeah, someone's having a heart attack. You'd be like, oh, shit. Oh, I wanted to help you. But if someone says they're kind of struggling with depression at the moment and the other person doesn't know much about depression, just going to get a fucking blank on that. Or they're seeing things or they're hearing voices or, you know, they're disassociating and losing time. No. There isn't the same stigma around something like angina. So these descriptions just came from sort of the really basic summary pages from the Mayo Clinic. Schizophrenia is a chronic brain disorder that affects less than 1% of the US population. When schizophrenia is active, symptoms can include delusions, hallucinations, paranoia, disorganised speech, trouble with thinking and lack of motivation. People with schizophrenia require lifelong treatment. And yeah, as I understand it, there are periods with someone who has schizophrenia and they're unmedicated, they will be perfectly lucid and then they will suddenly have an episode and then they will be perfectly lucid again. So it's not necessarily, I don't think, a constant thing. In some cases, yes, it might be, you know, the voices are always there or, you know, the shadow people, I think it's quite a common delusion, are always following you around. I'm, I can't imagine what it's like to live with schizophrenia. It's, sounds terrifying. Well, it sounds like signals aren't uh, just getting redirected the completely wrong fucking way. I don't I don't know. I I'm I'm not educated enough to understand the physiology mm. behind it. But I imagine it must be absolutely terrifying to live with. You have my utmost sympathy, anybody who, who's out there managing schizophrenia, you know, you're extraordinary people. Agoraphobia is a type of anxiety disorder in which you fear or avoid places or situations that might cause you to panic or make you feel trapped, helpless or embarrassed. You fear an actual or anticipated situation, such as using public transportation, being in open or enclosed spaces, standing in line or being in a crowd. People with agoraphobia often have a hard time feeling safe in any public place, especially where crowds gather. You may feel that you need a companion, such as a relative or friend, to go with you to public places. This fear can be so overwhelming that you may feel unable to leave your home. It's often summarised kind of a fear of being outside, isn't it? Yeah, and it's something that I, full disclosure, have been treated for. I had so much therapy. CBT, it will change your life, guys. If you're struggling with anxiety and someone recommends or offers you, a, you know, CBT is a treatment option, snap it up. I hope it works for you. It really did change my life. I still struggle with a lot of things, but I can get out and about. I can go shopping. I used to ride a bus before the world caught yeah. fire. Yeah, the coof <laughs> hasn't been very good for No, you. the coof has made me take a lot of steps back. But agoraphobia is something that I have lived with probably for a decade. But now is very well managed. I'm very lucky that I had such a successful treatment plan. Um, but it, it does come in you know, waves and troughs. I can be fine for months and then something will trigger me and I'm not leaving the house. (laughs) (laughs) So psychosis then, which is the other thing that Pazuzu was diagnosed with, is 
kind of an umbrella term that falls over a lot of other mental health issues. And it's a total mental break with reality. It can include hallucinations, again, delusions, deeply disturbing thoughts, and it can come out of nowhere. I had that once. Yeah, the parents went off on holiday, dog, some bollocks, and mm. I pretty much spent the entire time just playing World of Warcraft and not sleeping. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you started uh, hallucinating, I remember. Yeah, I saw bugs on the walls. And, uh, that it, was quite mild. I don't know if we can yeah. necessarily call that a psychosis, but you definitely had a break from reality to a degree. Yeah. Well, it, it got, I, knew that, I knew I had, a, I, I had a, a slight issue developing when I saw one of the bugs on the wall and I grabbed my BB gun and tried to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... Ah, okay. And you gave me this really panic phone call, I remember, because I think I was saying with my friend over in Brighton at the time, because we came over in the end. You were, my... still, you were still in Woking. You sent her over just to she, make sure and I she didn't... put you to bed. I yeah. don't know, this is a very long time ago. Yeah. And then you came over the day after. But yeah, you, you were just... hallucinating because of sleep death. Yeah, because it's exciting to sleep properly. Now, imagine that, times a thousand, just happening out of nowhere. Without a BB gun. Without a BB gun. How would I cope? And seeming utterly, utterly real to you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a very poor nutshell, but in a nutshell, yeah. psychosis is just completely losing touch with reality. It's a horrific thing to go through. Again, I would not wish this on anybody. Luckily, if properly treated, most psychotic breaks or episodes you can fully recover from. I just need to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> There's no reason that a psychotic state should be permanent for yeah. most people. I, li- I literally just like slept like nine hours over uh, like, like one night after the other. So not like nine hours. No, no again, over. I don't think yeah. you were psychotic because you knew that the bugs weren't really there. Yeah, that was crazy though. <laughs> Cynthia did what she could to get her son treatment. And for a brief time, it did seem as though there was some improvement with him. But the money for treatment very quickly ran out. A quote from Cynthia. To continue with the psychiatrists and so forth, it takes a lot of money. You've got to remember the good things, and I block out any of the bad things. He wasn't by any means an angel, but he wasn't a bad person or a bogeyman, or whatever phrases people have called him. This is some really privileged bullshit coming out of my mouth now, I know. It's a fucking disgrace that in other parts of the world, outside of the UK, you have to pay for mental health care or any health care. Where the fuck are your taxes going, people? It's a fucking disgrace that this child was diagnosed as being schizophrenic and psychotic and was denied treatment because of money. The, the the problem with that is, yeah, we have our healthcare system, but not not every other country can do the exact same thing because I like, know countries are different. Because Americans are already taxed out the arse as it is. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Where is that fucking tax going? A lot of shit. You know, know, when it costs six hundred dollars to call a fucking ambulance in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I'm not saying the NHS is perfect. It's extremely under-resourced. It's extremely overworked. But even now, in the middle of a pandemic, if I fell over and broke my kneecap, I could get in a car, go five minutes up the road, walk into A&E and get full treatment without handing over a penny. 
I find it so morally reprehensible that a child is diagnosed as psychotic and is denied treatment because of money. It's disgusting. And I know I'm being super privileged right now because I do live yeah. in the UK. <laughs> we have universal healthcare. But, but I we don't pay understand. for it in our tax. But this is the thing. We don't get taxed as much as people do in the States and we still have universal free healthcare. How can you pay, you know, like 40% tax like some people do in America and then be expected to pay outrageous health insurance premiums on top and then still that health insurance won't cover a vast majority of medications or treatments where is that money going Bazuzu's mental health continued to decline and his grip on reality slipped further and further away he became obsessed with satanism and the works of Anton LaVey the author of the satanic bible in 2002 he took on his new name, combining his obsessions with Satanism and the horror genre. So, in ancient Mesopotamia... Oh, we've got some ancient law here, Some huh? ancient law, yes. Okay. I checked my sources. In ancient Mesopotamia, Pazuzu was the king of a particular group of demons, the demons of the wind. He is often depicted with the body of a man, the head of a snarling dog, wings and talons like an eagle and a snake as his perpetually erect penis. Hey, hey! Which is obviously a symbol of fertility mm-hmm. to people who understand, you know, have some knowledge of pagan symbols and things like that. It's not about being a horned dog, it's about being virile. You could say he had an impressive trouser snake. <laughs> there are some great statues out there. <laughs> Pazuzu was seen as neither good nor evil by his worshippers, but as a powerful force over nature who could destroy or bless, depending on how people venerated him. He had dominion over the winds, storms and locusts as part of his powers. It was believed that if you pleased him through worship and sacrifice, he would protect you from all of these things. If you displeased him, he would then destroy you with them. So you see that quite a lot with with these kind of pagan pantheons and to be honest we see it in our pantheons that we study as part of our religious beliefs these mythical figures even like specifically demons does it in anything outside of the catholic or anglican or christianity basically christianity demons are not generally seen as evil they're sort of demigods and they're neither good nor bad they're just you know, depending on how you behave and how you treat them, you'll get it back karmically, kind of thing. So, with all the word demon is thrown around, Pazuzu is not necessarily evil in the mythos. In the mythos, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's kind of one of the things with uh, like the elements like that, like wind. Mm-hmm. That all elements can create, all elements can destroy. Mm-hmm. Water can quench your thirst. It can also drown you. Mm-hmm. It, can, you... it can rush down a, a, um, a hillside and uh, wipe your house out. You look at, you know, I think it's like the goddess Kali. She was the goddess of death, but she's also a symbol of courage and strength and regeneration. Mm-hmm. And although she has a very alarming physical image, 
people will pray to Kali often and still do, as far as I'm aware, um, for lots of nice, good things. You know, these uh, these ancient figureheads are multifaceted. It's not black and white. The demon Pazuzu became a modern cultural icon thanks to William Peter Blatty's novel and later film, The Exorcist. Pazuzu was the demon that possessed Regan McNeil and appears in various cuts of the movie in different ways, as a statue, a talisman, and a vision looming over Reagan during her exorcism. He has become synonymous with the modern idea of the devil and evil made flesh. It just really takes the off pagan, you see that so much. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like the pentagram being seen as like the <laughs> devil symbol, and it's like, no, you're just wrong. You're so wrong. <laughs> A pentagram has nothing to do with Satanism. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm sure you could use it for that. You can also use a button knife to stab someone. Doesn't mean a button knife is for stabbing <laughs> people. It's for pasta. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> Pazuzu Algarad knew exactly what he was doing when he chose his new name. He was invoking the devil within himself and in the eyes of everyone he knew about him in Clemens. He also set about altering his appearance from the clean-cut, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy next door to a demon incarnate. He grew his hair out into matted, filthy dreadlocks. He covered his entire body with tattoos, including his face. A tattoo artist who studied Pazuzu's facial tattoos claims that they are a variety of different tribal markings, including Polynesian, Viking and Celtic, and that the more of such tattoos an ancient warrior would have had, the higher standing he would have had in the tribe. There were also rumours that he had filed his teeth down to sharp points and split his tongue like a serpent's. These claims, as far as I can tell, are not substantiated. But his whole thing, yeah, was basically he wasn't accepted by society and he didn't want to be. He also developed some very strange beliefs like he couldn't wash because if he washed, then he was damaging his body's power to protect him from evil because it was like damaging his immune system. So he must fucking stank. <laughs> I just got to say, <laughs> kind of like with the uh, the missing episode, which is what I'm going to call it from now on. Oh, our missing yeah. episode. It's just, it sounds like a really dodgy roleplay character. Yeah, it, it's a really dodgy D&D character. That's yeah. exactly what this <laughs> what he's creating. His whole thing was shock and awe. Um, so, yeah, because he wasn't accepted by society, he didn't want to be. So he rebelled as hard as he possibly could. And every stereotype that he could think of, he sought to fulfil. He declared himself as a Satanist. As I say, he's not a real Satanist, okay? He also, after 9-11, in the fallout of the Islamophobia that came with that, started referring to himself as a Muslim and was deliberately trying to incite Islamophobia in his community. He would walk around with a, a turban and he would, you know, yell about jihad and all that kind of thing. There is no evidence that at any point he believed in Islam in any way. And he's not... He's not a Muslim as much as he's not a fucking Satanist. He's just a prick. He just needs a smack right on the back. He does need a firm smack on the bottom. He needs putting over his mother's knee. No, no, you see, if you smack around the back of the head, he might bite his tongue. Ugh. If he's filed his teeth, but 
There's two for one there. So not only is he a dick and a smelly fucker, he's also <laughs> a racist. Not only is he a dick, but he stinks. Yeah, and he's a he's racist. A, he's a smelly dick. He's like a walking homeless man's penis. Oh, God, can you imagine the smag if he only washes once a oh. year? Like fucking sour cottage cheese. Oh, God. Please edit that bit out. Nope. That's staying oh. in. Pazuzu would tell people that he sacrificed animals and drank his own blood in front of other people, pushing the extremes around himself to shape the monster mythos. In 1988, Pazuzu's mother, Cynthia, had remarried a man called Johnny James, and the family moved into the house at 2749 Nob Hill Drive in Winston Salem. Nob. My name's Stop and I'm twelve. <laughs> it's spelt like Nob as well. Um, for those of you who perhaps are not a fi- a familiar with British colloquialisms <laughs> in the UK, Nob is synonymous with Dick. Penis schlong trouser snake, and it's held around as an insult here. And 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 the knob lived in knob. He did. The knob yeah. lived in the knob house. What a knob! Pazuzu despised his stepfather. He was verbally and physically violent towards him, and neighbours could hear the screaming matches from several yards down the road. Eventually, Cynthia's second marriage broke down under the strain. Given an ultimatum by her husband and her son, she chose her son, and Johnny left the two in the house. So the house is in his name. He paid for the house. As Pazuzu devolved, so did the house on Nob Hill Drive. Cynthia became a virtual prisoner in her own home, confined to one room on the upstairs of the house, while Pazuzu ran rampant below and turned the property into a den of depravity. A consummate outsider up until his 20s, Pazuzu used the house to begin to attract followers, styling himself as a mixture between Charles Manson, Anton LaVey and Alistair Crowley. In this house, there were no rules. Becoming involved with the drug culture in Clemens, Pazuzu's house became a place to score, to use, to drink to excess and to fuck to excess. He used to have orgies and all sorts. In his crack house. In his crack house. Well, it's a heroin house, I believe. Yeah, but don't you just, isn't it just generally called a crack house? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not that au okay with drug culture. No, am I? But, <laughs> but generally, from what I've seen and stuff, a house that's mainly used for people going over and getting high is just... A crack house. Yeah, I'll I'll show you some pictures of this place and I'll put some up on our social media, so on our Instagram and our Facebook group. Um, I think that Pazuzu's house makes crack houses look like Buckingham Palace. Oh, right. It's disgusting. So a quote from one of Pazuzu's former friends, Nate Anderson, he had a twisted sort of charisma. It's the kind of charisma that isn't going to appeal to everyone. But certain minds are going to be drawn in by that. The misfits, the outcast, people living on the edge, or people who wanted to live on the edge. Within the house at Nob Hill Drive, Pazuzu and his followers would harm themselves and one another, drink one another's blood, use drugs such as heroin, as I said, and have massive orgies. There was filth everywhere. 
The walls were painted with satanic symbols. There was all sorts of drug paraphernalia, like used syringes and sort of spoons for cooking and all that kind of thing. There was also waste and garbage just everywhere. There was no such thing as a bin. There was also blood from the small animals such as rabbits and birds that Pazuzu would use in ritual sacrifice smeared all over the walls. And more disgusting than that even, Pazuzu and his friends would openly urinate and defecate on the floor throughout the house. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I'm so sorry, darling. No. <laughs> yeah. The stench was so severe that it could be smelled several hundred yards down the road. It fucking reeked. But they were all so high on heroin, they didn't notice. I think they thought they were being super rebellious and edgy. I don't even think it was a case of they didn't notice. They were doing it deliberately. They were just like, you know, who the fuck just cops a squat on the living room carpet? Pazuzu the Anorak. Yeah. So another quote from a former friend of Pazuzu, Crazy Dave, spelt with a K. People would come to visit his house because they knew it was free reign. There were no rules. There was nothing you had to abide by. You could piss on his carpet. You could smash a TV. You could hit somebody in the head with a beer bottle. You could throw a knife at the wall. It just didn't matter. Pazuzu would joke to those who came to the house about the unbelievable stench that it was coming from bodies buried in his backyard and used to tell them that he was also a cannibal. Pazuzu would also collect women who came into his home, referring to them as his fiancées, using his cult leader-like charm to draw them in. So this is a really Marilyn Manson kind of thing to do. He's such a fucking wannabe. Because <laughs> Marilyn Manson used to surround himself with these vulnerable young women and kind of... <laughs> Leave that in. Leave that in and correct yourself now. Charlie Manson, <laughs> Charles Manson. I'm very tired. See, I see, overslept by an hour and 45 minutes this morning. What, what you don't see is whilst Mish is saying about Marilyn Manson, I'm just sitting here looking at her with my eyebrows slowly getting a little higher and higher. I love and Marilyn Manson as well. I don't want to equate these yeah. two. Fuck. I, I can see that you stop talking. You, your gears start turning like, oh, fuck. And your head by the desk. <laughs> That's what that thud was. Yeah. That was a face plant of shame. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Marilyn Manson. I love you and I don't want to equate you with this dickhead. He wishes he was you. So who are you talking about? Charles Manson. Charles? Okay, right. <laughs> so Charles Manson's thing was... I'm so red right now. I can feel that heat radiating off my face. Oh, bless you. He used to collect these very vulnerable women... And use things like drugs and sex and this sort of pseudo-holistic kind of preaching to brainwash them and control them. And that's exactly what Pazuzu's doing. But I think probably with about a one billionth of the charm. I think he just used drugs to control people. I think that was all he had, really. So two of these women that he collected then were Amber Birch and Crystal Matlock. And Amber Birch, in particular, kind of was enthralled with Pazuzu. And 
she basically ended up becoming his common wife. So he would refer to her as his wife. They weren't legally married, but they've been living together for a super duper long time. I think with a common law marriage, basically, if you've lived together for a certain amount of time and you declare yourselves as, yes, I'm married to her, she's married to me, it can be legally recognised, although there is no paperwork or anything to back it up. But it means, for example, if one of you ends up in hospital, the other is legally recognised as your next of kin. Okay. It's not particularly important. I just want to kind of demonstrate just how much power he has over these women. People within the community of Winston-Salem had at least some knowledge of the depravity that was going on within the house at Nob Hill Drive, but they did not report Pazuzu to the police. This was likely due to fear. Pazuzu had become the literal devil next door. But he did have some run-ins with the law, despite the fact that his neighbours were not reporting his home situation. In May 2010, Pazuzu was charged with misdemeanour assault, I just want to say that again, a misdemeanour, for assaulting his mother Cynthia. According to court records and eyewitness reports, he choked Cynthia so hard at the house that she lost consciousness due to lack of oxygen. However, ultimately, Cynthia chose not to continue with pressing charges against her son, and so the case was dropped. Pazuzu received no punishment for this assault, and Cynthia continued to live in the house with her son, enabling his lifestyle. <sighs> so many things I want to say, but I'm not going to. I'm not a parent. I don't feel I really have the right to comment. On the 7th of June 2010, the body of 30-year-old man, Joseph Emmerich Chandler, was found on a boat ramp at the edge of a river in Donahar Park in Clemens. This river, the Yadkin, was known to be a place where Pazuzu would go to conduct satanic rituals on a full moon. When Joseph's body was found, there was no sign of a struggle or a robbery, simply a dead, young, African-American man who was known to be a kind-hearted person, a loving son, and who was very vulnerable due to the fact that he was legally blind. He had been shot once, execution-style, in the back of the head. Pazuzu was arrested along with another man, Nicholas Pasquale Rizzi. Rizzi was convicted of involuntary manslaughter... Bearing in mind, this guy was killed execution style. Okay. Convicted of involuntary manslaughter and served 13 months in prison. Pazuzu made a plea deal with the county of guilty to accessory after the fact. So it means that he didn't get convicted of anything to actually do with the death itself. Um, he got convicted basically of saying that he helped hide Rizzi in his house after he killed this young man. He received probation only I just I feel like my brain is going to run out of my nose I'm I'm just going to say it I think racism had a part to play in this connect the dots for me there how did they get is this house near the lake at all it was just somewhere that they used to well I guess so because it's all in Clemens um, but it's just somewhere that he used to go down, and Joseph was killed on a full moon. Okay, so um, I think he was a sacrifice. Yeah, and his mother think that they basically just 
picked him. Uh, Joseph had had some trouble with drugs in the past, but he'd actually like completely turned his life around and had gone straight and was clean and was working a legitimate job, but may have known Nicholas or Pazuzu. I think probably Nicholas from past dealings. Nicholas and Pazuzu knew each other from their sort of drug orgies and blah, blah. I honestly think, though, that they did not press this further because his mum thinks it was because of race. Because when she went to report him missing, they told her that he would just come home and she should go out and look for him and that he was probably in a ditch somewhere. That's what police tell his mother. Well, to be honest, though, if what was the sentence... What what did he get charged with when he beat his mum? Uh, a misdemeanor assault. Yeah, so couldn't this be shit policing? Yeah, he's shit yeah. policing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They're fucking lazy, they can't he's be us. shit policing. Fucking involuntary manslaughter. That means they killed him by accident. Yeah. He was, was shot in the back of the head. Yeah. Oh. At the time of the investigations into Chandler's death, Police executed a search warrant for the house on Nob Hill Drive, but this was not fully worked. They weren't allowed to conduct a full raid of the house, only a basically just a cursory search. Just glanced over it. Mm-hmm. And I did hear some rumours that they had applied basically for ground penetrating radar and things like that. And they were told it was going to take two or three weeks to get the equipment. So they took cadaver dogs onto the site instead. Because, to be honest, this guy looks like a fucking serial killer. And he has been telling people he has got... Right. Yeah. And they took cadaver dogs into the property. The cadaver dogs didn't strike on anything. But you have to think about the fact that this house fucking Fucking stank. stank. Yeah. You know, there was blood everywhere. There was animal carcasses everywhere. Shit. How are these dogs expected to be able to single out the decay of a human body? So they didn't mark on anything. And police basically went, oh, yeah, everything's fine. They they didn't go through any drawers or anything. They said that they weren't allowed. Um, It turns out after the fucking warrant was uh, was unsealed, you know, years and years later, they fucking could have... Did they want to be in there for longer than they needed to, though? No, but at the end of the day, for guys walking around saying, I've got a house and a garden full of dead bodies, yeah. don't go up to his house go, oh, this whiffs a bit. Yeah, you're probably fine. And walk out again. Yeah. I mean, cadaver dogs are amazing. The people that train them are amazing. But they are not the same as a forensics team going in and ripping the place apart. Yep. Case in point, the Madeline McCann case, they cannot make up their fucking mind about the cadaver dogs on that one. Mm. Um, they took cadaver dogs into the apartment that she went missing from mm. and they struck behind the couch and I think in the bedroom in the apartment and then they also struck in the hire car. But this was fucking years later. They are incredibly skillful animals, but it could have been anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I love cadaver dogs. I think they're amazing, and I think they do incredible work. But they can be wrong. It's no different from human error. Yeah. And, that, and a house that's full of shit and piss. And piss and yeah. dead animals and blood and dirty drug paraphernalia. And, and what's what's going to be the strongest scent for them? Well, this the, is the thing. They would have been yeah. completely overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. 
So, of course they weren't going to strike on anything. So, yeah, the findings of the warrant, basically because they decided that they didn't find anything, they sealed the search warrant. And then the bloody thing was opened up, I think, six or seven years later. And it turns out they could have done a much more extensive search, but they basically decided, nah, it's not worth our time. Lazy buggers. Just incompetent. Yeah. And I think ignorant. I think they looked in that house, they freaked out so fucking badly, they're like, no, we don't want to touch this with the shitty end of a stick. Whereas other, like, half-competent police force would be like, right, we dissect in this building. Yeah, they should have ripped it to fucking pieces. Yeah. And they certainly, even if they hadn't done that, they certainly shouldn't have allowed people to continue living there. Yeah. The problem is as well that this really boosted Pazuzu's confidence. And he would claim after this that, well, yes, he buried, he'd eaten all these people and he had bodies buried in his backyard and all the rest of it. He could now not be caught because the devil protected him. Rumours began to fly around the town about the satanic acts and sacrifices occurring in Basuzu's house. This only served to bolster the community's fear of him. And at the same time, Pazuzu was absolutely revelling in his reputation and stoking the flames of his personal hellfire. He fucking loved it. Oh, yeah. Sadly, while Pazuzu was allowed to continue this behaviour, two more people disappeared. So the first of the two men that disappeared was a man named Josh Wetzler. Josh was a skilled harrier, which is a hoof trimmer for horses. Um, And he was basically a big, lovely hippie. He was so sweet from what I've seen of him. His whole thing is that he refused to put shoes on horses. He called the practice barbaric. So he trained himself to be really skilled in maintaining horses feet so that they weren't required to wear shoes he stood by this and he he kept this as such a strong moral code that he used to he used to lose a load of jobs because of it because he'd go to stables and they'd want him to reshoe the horses and be like no i'm not doing it it's torture which i i think it's just i can stand by that i think that's a great attitude to have so, yeah, Josh refused to back down on his morals, and this was just the kind of person that he was. He had a common-law wife, Stacy, who speaks very lovingly of him, despite the fact that the two were separated. So, uh, my heart breaks for Stacy. She's kind of... She's basically the main character of the documentary. The story of the documentary seems to be much more about... Stacy and her hunt for justice for Josh than it ever is for Pazuzu, and that's one of the reasons I like it so much. Stacy called Josh the most beautiful man that she'd ever seen. She describes him as someone who spread joy and warmth wherever he went with his readily available affection and razor-sharp sense of humour. Stacy also loved horses, and Stacy and Josh set up a humane stable and farrier centre together, and the pair later had a son they named Jared. The family were living their dream, but Stacy left Josh after she found out that he was dealing marijuana and magic mushrooms. Now, it wasn't that she had an issue with those kind of recreational jobs, uh, drugs, rather. Um, it was basically that she didn't want him dealing with their son in the house because she was worried about who that was going to bring into their son's life. Mm -hmm. Because while Josh was a big, lovable panda... Not everybody in that kind of lifestyle is, so she didn't want um, Jared exposed to that. But the pair 
basically we're still co-parenting their son and although they were separated, Stacy really hoped that they were going to get back together watch Josh had straightened himself out and they were still completely in love with each other. It's just that they kind of had to straighten out these other issues before Stacy was prepared to have them all living together again. Yeah, I mean, like case in point, last episode, um, that was all, the, the, the initial murder was over marijuana. Yeah, so, you know, Josh may not be a threat, but he could bring other people into their lives who yeah. were. I can understand that from a parent, you know, as a parent, Stacey had to do what was best for their baby and it wasn't for a lack of love between them. Unfortunately, Josh was arrested for perching some mushrooms on a mail order. And this makes me physically sick as well, especially considering how fucking like Pazuzu got off with his major crimes. Because the mushrooms came through the post and that is a federal service in America... Yeah, the charge for purchasing them is raised is raised from a misdemeanor to a felony charge. Yep. With a felony on his record, Josh could no longer find any work in the trade that he loved with the horses or any menial jobs. He was completely unemployable. Yeah, when you get a felony charge, you're basically untouchable. It's like being radioactive in terms of getting legitimate work. So yeah, Josh wasn't able to get any viable work at this point at all again this just says so much about let's be honest the justice system's priorities without being able to work josh turned to selling marijuana and mushrooms as his full-time income josh had the best of intentions and was a danger to no one but his puffed up drug charges ripped his life away from him in 2009 Josh just vanished without a trace. He was only 37 years old. Tommy Dean Welch was the second man to vanish in October 2009. Tommy was a family man who lived with his mother to take care of her. He was very close with his two brothers and their families, and he adored his young niece and nephew. Tommy would love to babysit them while his brother Rusty worked. Tommy had a passion for restoring old cars and tinkering with electronics. He particularly enjoyed souping up sound systems in the vintage cars he worked on. He was also a fan of vintage music, particularly Michael Jackson. Tommy would occasionally drink, but did not use any drugs. On October 3rd, he was meant to have dinner and movie night with his extended family at the home that he shared with his mum, but he never came home. The following morning, the family reported him missing. Tommy, just like Josh, was never heard from again. Tommy was 31 years old. For five years, both of these men's families desperately searched for their loved ones, clinging to the hope that they might be able to bring them home. But in October of 2014, that hope was taken away from them. Pazuzu's best friend since 13 years, Matt Flowers, went to police about Pazuzu's bragging of having bodies in his backyard at the house on Nob Hill. Matt Flowers is a combat veteran who served in the Iraq war and was dealing with PTSD and alcoholism as a result of that, but he maintained his absolute core of justice, bravery and sense of right and wrong. Horrified by what his friend had become, and unlike everyone else in the house at Knop Hill, 
not taking Pazuzu's claims of bodies buried there as a joke, Matt Flowers went to the police. He gave them multiple tips, but when they were latent to act on them, he finally went there and told them that if they did not investigate Pazuzu, he was personally going to go and shoot him dead to stop his reign of violence. This guy's a fucking legend. Oh, he's making a point. He's amazing. He's so brave. And this is his friend. And it's really sad to see as well because he still loves his friend that he used to know. Mm. And he, you know, he refers to him as his brother. And you can see it absolutely breaks his heart to do this. But he knew he had to do it. And he was so brave. So three days after Matt Flowers' death threat against Pazuzu in front of the police, they finally executed a full search warrant on Pazuzu's house. Took long enough. It put a fucking rocket up their ass. Yeah. <laughs> because I absolutely believe he would have done it, and I think they must have as well. well it's like the old story of um, someone phoning the police saying, someone's breaking into his shed. And they're like, oh, we've got no one in your area. I was like, oh, okay. You phone back 20 minutes later. It's like, oh, yeah, I phoned about someone breaking into my shed. Don't worry, I've shot them. And then, like, ten police cars turn up. (laughs) (laughs) On October 5th, 2014, police raided the property. Forsyth County Sheriff's Office released a nine-minute video clip of the initial search of the property. I've watched this on YouTube. It's sort of a body cam footage of them going through the house. You can find it. It's fucking horrific, the state of this house. It's disgusting. A report released after notes the house was a filth-encased, garbage-strewn, uninhabitable residence where the words evil will triumph were spray-painted over a doorway amid countless other satanic-looking graffitis. There was broken glass and sharp instruments everywhere, hundreds of flies dead and alive, Decaying animal parts and remains and animal cages filled with carcasses as well as dried blood on the walls. Those poor animals. Yeah. Poor bunnies and he had puppies and stuff. The only room in the house that had some semblance of normality was Cynthia's bedroom. It was as if it was her own private world cloistered in Pazuzu's personal hell that he created. More disturbing, though, than any other find that the police made was the two shallow graves in the back garden containing the skeletal remains of two men who had clearly been dead for several years. Autopsies on the remains confirmed their identities as Josh Wetzler and Tommy Welch. Both had been killed with gunshots to the head, just as Joseph Chandler had been. I'm convinced there were more. Why they never found bury... any more, but I'm convinced there were more. This guy reeks a serial killer. Why did he bury two? Well, these are the only two that we know of. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, like, he's buried two, but why leave one by the by the lake? I think trying to find logic in anything this guy does is like trying to swim to the moon. It's just not possible. Yeah, but I've done that. <laughs> I I I would love to be able to offer you some sort of explanation, yeah. but I can't. And I I'm glad I can't because I don't want to understand how this guy's mind works. Pazuzu, now 35 years old, 
was finally arrested and charged with murder, along with his two fiancés, Amber Birch, who was 24, and charged with murder and accessory after the fact, and Catherine Matlock, 28, who was also charged with accessory after the fact. Pazuzu had been allowed, up until this point, to spend almost two decades living in total squalor and worse, and it had taken a death threat for the police to finally act. The media exploded with the stories of the satanic sex cult murders that had been uncovered in the small, ultra-conservative town. Hold the phone. Yeah. (laughs) They're still having orgies in this house? Yeah. But there's shit everywhere? Yeah. God, they must That's have, what I was saying. They must have been riddled. Like, if you want to have an orgy, you know, fair enough, but maybe don't do it all over used needles and piles of human shit. Your sex life is your business, providing it doesn't involve children or animals. But some basic, you know, fucking hygiene goes yeah. a long way in terms of foreplay. If, if your orgy at some point involves making sure someone's not too far to the left in the pile of human shit and not too far to the right on top of a dead puppy, you got an issue. <laughs> you should kind of address what the fuck your life is like. <laughs> so the media exploded with the stories of the satanic sex cult murders that had been uncovered in the small, ultra-conservative town. It was an easy way to distract from the fact that everyone had been aware of what was going on in the house, but that nobody had intervened. Blaming everything on the devil absolved the failings of the mental health care system being deeply flawed, the facilities for drug rehabilitation and support also being deeply flawed, and the fact that Pazuzu had been allowed to walk free even after he had knowingly murdered somebody. The hysteria also served to devalue the lives of those who were victims, lumping them in as part of the cult crew, which was not the case. It is not clear how Tommy met Pazuzu, but we know a little around Josh. He'd likely gone to the house to sell some marijuana. He'd been friendly with Pazuzu, and when he'd been there, apparently, the two had enjoyed playing music and singing together on his visits. They were just hippieing out. Josh thought he had this weird but nice kind of musical acquaintance. In a house full of shit and dead animals. Yeah, but, you know, if you've got a kid, you do what you can to make money sometimes. That's the only place you can... You imagine, this is this house full of junkies. There might be 20 people in there that are willing to buy. Mm. And he's got a kid to feed. Josh actually made it clear while he was in the house that he had no interest in Pazuzu's violent brand of Satanism. And he f- he did think he was weird. Like, he knew that it wasn't a healthy way to live. But he just seemed like the guy who was really chill and would kind of try to see the best in everybody. Okay. This denial to join Pazuzu's special club is likely what cost Josh his life. If he cannot be persuaded to join him, then his only use to him was as a human sacrifice. Josh and Tommy's families may have thought that they would finally have some closure, but, a sadist to the end, Pazuzu refused to give it to them. Days before his trial for murder was due to begin, Pazuzu was found unresponsive at 3am in his cell at Central Prison Rally, bleeding profusely from a wound in his left arm. Attempts to resuscitate him failed, 
and he was pronounced dead at 4.20am. Officials say that he died of severe blood loss caused by a deep wound to a major vessel in his left arm and rules his death as an apparent suicide. How he had caused the wound has never been confirmed, though it is speculated that he used his sharpened teeth to inflict the wound upon himself. I was going to say. Yep. Pazuzu was able to complete suicide despite the fact that he was under a safekeeping order due to his history of mental illness. So he was on what colloquially is called suicide watch and was allowed to kill himself. I'm not saying the system's corrupt, but... (laughs) not saying the system's corrupt, but Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein... Epstein! Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Anyone that actually believes that is very, very wrong. (laughs) Gonna get so many emails. Pazuzu's death has been regarded as cowardice by some of those who are left behind, and as a final act of cruelty by others. He alone knew why he did the things that he did, and he refused through his death to give the families of his victims any answers. Over time, a little more information came out around the circumstances of Josh and Tommy's murders. It is understood that Pazuzu was the one who killed them, and then his fiancés, Amber and Catherine, helped him to dispose of the bodies. The men were dismembered and then placed in the basement, covered with several hundred pounds of cat litter and bleach to cover the smell of decomposition, and then once the bodies were decayed enough to be moved to the graves in the backyard. So basically they put them in the fucking cellar, covered them with cat litter, and left them there to rot until they didn't smell anymore and they could be moved outside. The depravity. Yeah. Like, but this, this, the... is, this is a guy that has orgies in a house full of humans, shit, yeah. and dead owls. And sees other people as something to be used. Amber reportedly used to enjoy telling other people about helping to commit the murders and laughing hysterically about it as she recounted the details to them. Cynthia James, so Pazuzu's mother, it was found by police had also been present when both of the murders had been committed and had witnessed them firsthand, but had done nothing. She had simply helped to clean up and then gone out to work both times. No criminal charges have ever been brought against her. This is likely because of the level of abuse that she suffered at Pazuzu's hands, allowing her to broker a deal with the county. And bless her, this woman is just totally out of touch at this point. It really is as if she cannot accept that her son is capable of doing the things that she did. So she just compartmentalises it. And Pazuzu and John, for her, are two very separate people. It's very sad. Shortly after the arrests, the house at 2749 Nob Hill Drive... Nob. (laughs) <laughs> was declared uninhabitable by the Forsyth County. Took long enough. Mm. And in April 2015, the townspeople of Winston-Salem reportedly gathered their lawn chairs and sat out the front, cheering as they watched the house be demolished. <laughs> I don't blame them. All that remains now is an empty plot of land. 
can, I can just picture it. We're all sitting out well, front. Well, you can get out there with a margarita. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, Yay! And the first wall comes down and the stench comes out. Apparently, and all the cheering goes, oh, God, put it back! Apparently, the smell was so bad that even the dust that remained from the house had to be removed from the area. Burn it down. It was in the fucking, you know, the particulate that was yep. left behind. And it's rare. Amber Birch pled guilty to second degree murder, armed robbery and accessory after the fact to murder. She received a sentence of a minimum of 30 years and eight months in prison. Crystal Matlock pleaded guilty to accessory after the fact to first degree murder. She was ordered to serve a minimum of three years and two months and a maximum of four years and ten months. So she helped chop up two dead guys that she had allowed to be murdered, helped bury the bodies after she doused them with bleach and cat litter and watched them rot and she gets a maximum of four and a bit years. That's not enough. Meanwhile, Josh, who ordered a few magic mushrooms for his personal use, had his life destroyed with felony charges. She'll be out, you know, she'll be out within the next two years. The Satanic Temple has worked hard to distance itself from Pazuzu and his claims of being a Satanist. Liz Bradley, a practising Satanist and member of the Satanic Temple, gave an interview with Oxygen.com and she explained in her statements, Obviously people are trying to pin him on us. He was clearly a messed up person. I don't know why anyone would take anything that he said super seriously. People love to use the scapegoat of Satan. We want to look for a solution or an answer and since mental health is difficult to understand, we can just point at Satan especially in this particular case because the guy had a bunch of face tattoos. Real Satanists place emphasis on empathy and compassion. We strive for justice, seeking knowledge and using science to guide our beliefs and not the other way around. We foster general enlightenment values and kindness. We're non-theistic. We don't even believe in Satan. We use Satan as a metaphor. And our third tenet is that one's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. So we're never going to violate somebody's bodily autonomy. So they are anti-violence. They are anti-organised religion. They are (laughs) (laughs) anti-Satan. The real Satanists of the world are some of the chillest, most educated, most reasonable people you will ever have the fortune to discourse with. It's hard to say if Pazuzu would ever have killed anyone if provisions for mental health care had been better when he was in such dire need of treatment. The fact that someone who was as ill as he was, even as a child was refused treatment because of money, is a damning indictment on the current systems in place. The fact that he did not serve any time for knowingly being involved in the death of Joseph Chandler is a glaring light being shone on the failure of the justice system in putting a violent criminal away. The failure to enact a full search warrant five years before his arrest revealed an air of complacency 
that subjected the families of two more victims to a further half decade of agony, not knowing where their loved ones were. Cynthia seems to live in denial of just how violent her son became. She could perhaps be considered the pillar of unconditional mother's love, or a woman who has been violently conditioned by her abuser. And just to go back to that quote from her again at the beginning, now that we've got some context on it. John had some mental problems, but he wasn't a bad guy. You've got to remember the good things, and I block out any of the bad things. He wasn't by any means an angel, but he wasn't a bad person or a bogeyman, or whatever other phrases people have called him. An asshole. <sighs> Just such a waste of life is the only way I can describe the situation in every regard. Clemens is still trying to pick up the pieces after the damage Pazuzu left behind. Failures by the health system and the police have got to be scrutinised. The town of Winston-Salem has to face the fact that their religious fervour may have made them turn away from a group of young people who needed help and not revilement. Stacy Carter, Josh's widow, has turned her grief into trying to heal not only herself but others. She has set up a non-profit called Heart-Centred Horsemanship, an endeavour that seeks to help people suffering from mental illness. She has trained therapists who work with her and horses providing therapy, trust development, relaxation training and trauma treatment. She and her son Jared seek to spread this unique form of well-being and healing in a way that honours Josh's memory and his love of horses. And that is the case of Pazuzu Algarad. What a dick. I do suggest that you go and read, uh, that you go and watch the um, documentary. I'll put a link to the YouTube video down below because it's really hard without kind of doing additional research into, into this to understand just how fucked this whole situation yeah. really was. It's a little bit fucked, wasn't it? You know, you've got drugs, you've got mental illness, you've got police complacency is the only way I can put it. Easy. You've got abuse, you've got, to a degree, I'm going to say it, parental enablement. Oh, definitely. It's just, this never should have happened. Yep. You know, there should not be a 13-year-old a boy out there right now growing up without his daddy who absolutely worshipped the ground that that little boy walked on. Ay. I'm very sad. I'm very sad. Can I have a criminally stupid, please? Yes, you can. The date is the 27th of December, 2019. Oh, recent. Yeah. And this is where I fail to work properly. <laughs> it's Talajimolko de Zigina in Western Mexico state of Jalisco. You know the one. Yeah. Yeah. My eyes are very large right now. <laughs> that was a really long word and I'm not very clever. It's about 6.16 in the morning. Two guys get on the bus. Uh-huh. They make their way to the back. Mm-hmm. They have a plan, however. It was a few days after Christmas. Mm-hmm. I guess they didn't have a very good Christmas. Because their plan was to take their guns out, 
hold every single person on a bus at gunpoint oh. and rob them. Oh, what I'm not next? laughing. So your first person pulls his shirt up, reads into his trousers, starts putting out a gun. Oh no. It's very long. He's got a shotgun down his trousers. Get stuck. <laughs> oh God. Oh, I can see where this is going. There's CCTV for it. There's a bit where he gets stuck. And then it's in the ceiling and he's on the floor. Oh my God, did he blow his todger off? That's the thing. We don't know. Oh God. Because after the gun goes off, there's all the people on the bus turn around going, what the fuck was that? Eventually, the uh, very stunned man staggers up to his feet. Oh. Climbs off the bus with his friend and vanishes. Oh. You can't see right now, guys, but I'm sat here with my <laughs> thighs, like, crushed together. Oh, my they, God. They, so, they, they just, never found him. No, they just ran off. Jeez, he must have blown his willy off. So, well, uh, if that's not a lesson in, you know, don't threaten other people with a loaded yeah. weapon without the safety on. Yeah, gets on the bus with his mate with the full intent of robbing the place, gets the gun stuck in his trousers, shoots himself in the leg. Goes out empty-handed. That almost feels like poetic justice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but my crotch is very, <laughs> very traumatised right now. I don't even have a willy and I'm feeling that. I'll tell you what, we'll make sure you don't try and hide a shotgun down your trousers, right? No, I'm, I have no interest in pointing a gun at other people. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. That's that one. That's that one. I'm, yeah. I think I'm gonna go and watch a load of like Mythbusters or something. Trailer now. Park Boys. Trailer Park Boys. Something. Although Ricky does shoot himself in the leg with that as well. <laughs> yeah, but when Ricky shoots himself, it's funny. Yeah. When Ricky gets shot in the testicles by his nine-year-old daughter, that's funny. Yeah. Because it's not real. <laughs> and Mo. And Mo. Yeah, Mo shoots him. In oh the yeah, Mo. Mo gets him in the ball sack. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's but, it. Trinity gets Ricky in the arse and Mo gets him in the balls. Yeah. And Bubbles has to super glue it shut. I've <laughs> done most of the bag work. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Bit of a downer this week, really. I, could, I should have been the better. Stupid, sorry. That's all right. Not everyone can be a sleeping burglar covered in Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um... Yeah. Here's an upside for you, though. Mm-hmm. Remember I was saying that Carl complimented your swearing? Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Carl. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy my filthy sailor's mouth. Apparently somebody that Stoff knows greatly enjoys listening to me swear. I think it's either because I have a very high-pitched voice like a small girl or because I sound irritatingly posh. Here am I. <laughs> so and, there and, we are, Carl. And, and, That's and, just for you. Just for added contents, uh, context even, this person I know called Carl could be my boss. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> it's fine. You're on your own time right now. Yeah, I am. <laughs> anyway, if you've made it this far through all that depravity, well done, everybody. Thank you for listening. We're seeing quite a spike at the moment in our listeners i don't know what you guys are up to if you're recommending us to your friends thank you so much we really appreciate it um because we are just two idiots that sit here laughing at our own jokes yeah. 
But yeah, we really appreciate the, the spike in downloads that we're seeing. We really appreciate it. If we get only one listener, we just appreciate that you, as a normal, nice, out-in-the-world person, gives us two idiots your time. Well, possibly. You never know. You <laughs> could be listening for tips. If you would like to see some accompanying pictures for today's case of Pazuzu and his House of Horrors, you can follow us on Instagram at Deviant Grime Podcast. If you would like to join our Facebook group, which I hope that you do because we now have two members, you, you can find us at Deviant, a true crime podcast. On Facebook. That's just been interjected in there because I flubbed my line several times. Several times. If you would like to follow us on Twitter with my 3am ramblings because I have caffeine-induced insomnia or anxiety-induced insomnia, you can find us on Twitter at DeviantCrimePod. And if you would like to email us with case requests, with fact corrections, with... Anything else, really, that you'd like to send us? Criminally stupid, your true crime stories. Your true crime. No, I don't want any <laughs> actual criminal or any actual crimes. <laughs> then you can email us at deviantcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We would genuinely love to hear from you. Yeah. We are two normally very introverted, introverted people, I think. Mm. And so we find social interaction much easier when it's done through the wonders of the internet. What else? Oh, please rate, review and subscribe. We would really love it if someone out there who puts up with all our bullshit and finds some value in it. <laughs> quite a few rambles episode, didn't we? Yeah, it's going to be a heavy editing session this yeah. week. But if you like what we do and want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, we would be forever in your debt. Isn't that the same thing? I don't know if the reviews go across the tape, so I'm covering all my bases. And apart from that, we hope that our sort of soapboxing this week hasn't upset too many people. We're quite (laughs) passionate about the things that we believe in. We know that we are not as educated as we should be. We are more privileged than most in terms of where we live, the resources that we have access to. We're not looking to judge anyone who's in a difficult situation. We're looking to judge the people that put you there. Yeah. You guys make us happy, basically. And we will speak to you next week with a new case. And I think I might take a break from murder and do something else next week. Okie dokie. I need a murder break, I think. So I think we might have something like arson or grand larceny or something next week. Stuff, anything to add before we sign off? Uh, The only thing that comes to mind is, Welcome to Pazuzu's Funhouse! (laughs) Oh, fuck! Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye, everybody! (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.